Welcome to the global phenomenon, Surviving the Survivor, where we bring you the best guests in all of true crime. What's up, STS Nation, and welcome to a Monday edition of Surviving the Survivor, the podcast that promises to bring you the very best guests in all of true crime. It doesn't feel like a typical Monday because we had a show yesterday, and if you missed it, uh, please, please uh, catch up on it. It was a, it was super interesting. We had Mitch Album, one of America's best known and most beloved authors, the author of Tuesdays with Maury, and he has a new book out called The Little Liar, which is actually about the Holocaust. So it sort of intersected in uh, our little world with my mother's story, and uh, it was amazing to have an author of that caliber on STS. Um, so please, if you haven't seen it, Give it a watch. Trust me, it'll be worth your while. Um, in the meantime, we are back and on the case of Courtney Clenny. Uh, on August 10th, 2022, uh, the OnlyFans and Instagram model Courtney Clenny, who was 26 at the time, was arrested for second-degree murder in connection with the death of her 27-year-old boyfriend, Christian Obumselli. He is the victim here. He was stabbed to death four months earlier. It took about that long to arrest her. Uh, he was stabbed back on April 3rd, 2022 uh, at the apartment the couple shared in Edgewater. And it is a small community here in Miami. I just met some friends, didn't even know. They are close friends of ours. And when they were having their house redone, they were living in that condo at the same time uh, as Courtney Clenny and her boyfriend. And they said it was a very... Um, raucous apartment in general a lot of young people who like to party in miami um on the day of his murder uh courtney clenny who goes by courtney uh taylor online she called 911 to report that her boyfriend had been stabbed during an altercation between the two of them but first she called her uh parents and uh that raised some suspicion best guest here today you know him well famed tallahassee defense attorney r timothy jansen he is a partner in the firm Jansen and Davis. He has handled all sorts of complex civil, administrative, and criminal litigation, and he spent five years as a federal prosecutor. We are supposed to be joined by a new face on uh, Surviving the Survivor, Sue Ann Robinson. I'm hoping she does pop on. She is a lawyer and legal commentator for Court TV. She's been featured on Fox News, the Black News Channel, Young Turks, Long Crime. The list goes on and on. I believe she started her career at like 23 years old as a prosecutor a long time ago. And then you've got Megan Sachs, last but not least. She is a full professor of criminology and the graduate program director at Fairleigh Dickinson University. Guess what state that is? New Jersey, my home state. <laughs> Uh, she teaches classes including women in crime, serial killers, and crime policy. And she and her partner, Amy, partner at work, I should say, Amy, they co-host two podcasts, Win Women and Crime and Direct Appeal. Women in Crime and Direct Appeal. Women in Crime and Direct Appeal. So check it out. Uh, for those of you who don't know, I'm sure you do by now. I have a book coming out. Uh, someone just reached out from the U.K., uh, it is not available here till May in the UK in July. Uh, Carmen and I are having a uh, a um, brainstorming session with uh, some people at the publishing house on Wednesday uh, to figure out how to market this and how to get the word out. But um, Carmen's read it a hundred times. I've read it a few times. My wife has read it zero times, but eventually she will. <laughs> and um, 
honestly, it is. Uh, it's not. It's not about me. It's about Carm and the wisdom that she imparts, and I think that you will love it. So there you go, uh, Tim Jansen. You told me you watched this entire hearing. Courtney Clenny uh, was back in court, or part of the hearing, but she was back hearing. in. She was back in court on Thursday. Uh, what did you glean from that uh, court appearance? And I've got some stuff we're going to break it down. Well, it's a mess. Uh, you got the defense lawyer, as you know, going out there making public statements, attacking the victim, mentioning that the victim was sexually assaulted as a victim. Uh, the state tried to file a document, didn't calendar it, saying we would hope we'd get the attention of the defense to stop, not to try this case in the media. And it didn't stop. Now there's apparently TMZ doing a docu-series. Um, and then the defense responded by saying, hey, we have to fight this because it was a, a calculated uh, press conference by the state attorney, knowing that all these documents would harm his client, that he has a, a right to defend and make sure his client gets a fair trial while he's <laughs> chastising the victim who can't speak for himself in, in the media. He really can't have it both ways. I, I thought his public persona, his public comments were a little over the top, crossed the line. He should be worried about the trial um, and not worried about making himself look good on the, in the media. I think the judge is probably going to rail both sides in. The state has not had any other press conferences after the original one, basically saying what the charges were and what the probable cause was. The defense objected because they're releasing discovery pursuant to Chapter 119, which is Florida law. It's public record. They're entitled to it. Some parts can be kept out, but it's Florida law requires it. So I think the judge is pretty smart. She's getting going to get down to it. I didn't watch the whole hearing. Um, the defense believes they have a defense. Um, they haven't really given all the discovery that they have uh, that they need to give to the state. The state's entitled to a fair trial also. They're entitled to see who all these experts are. I guess the one funny thing that came to my mind was he had this knife-throwing expert but the expert didn't have any kind of a resume or curriculum vitae to give. So they said they were going to give him the, this bio on the website, which um, yeah. I found that they were, uh, amusing. He, the, the knife thrower was from the circus. Uh, they forgot to mention that. Um, <laughs> by the way, you see analytical Blarney AB up there. Um, analog, analytical Blarney AB has uh, been steadfastly contributing to the show uh, in the way of donating memberships. And uh, yours truly, the bonehead, has failed to address her as a friend of the show. So I'm making it abundantly clear right now that Analytical Blarney AB most certainly is a friend of the show, and not only a friend of the show, but a good friend of the show and a generous friend of the show. So shout out uh, to analy analytical Blarney AB. And look at this, Laura Waldy, hi, Joel, best guest, best mods, and STS Nation. All that is true. The best guest, best mods, and STS Nation. I always say best guest, better community. Uh, we're looking at this photo. This is uh, obviously from TMZ. You see the watermark, but that is a picture of Courtney Clenny. Uh, the day of the, uh, the murder, the day of the stabbing on the left, juxtaposed, obviously, with one of her modeling shots, on the right, um, quite the juxtaposition. So um, in court, 
this past Thursday, and this is a Miami case. And once the trial gets underway, uh, yours truly will be heading over there. Courtney Clenny and her attorneys had to enter um, a guilty plea on two new charges, uh, two new criminal charges. And they are um, one count of interception of wire or electronic communication, which is a third degree felony. So uh, we'll get to the other charge in a, in a moment. But uh, Megan, I know you're not the lawyer here per se, but what do you make of this that now more charges are being slapped onto this? And um, it sounds like she is a complicated person, to say the very least, one with a volatile temper. I think certainly you can glean that no matter what, draw whatever <laughs> conclusions you might. Um, there is a volatility to Courtney. Uh, this new charge has been added not only to Courtney's docket, but also her parents have been charged in connection with felony access to an unauthorized device. So some might say this is turning into a real circus. Um, I've heard some of the comments that, you know, this is an overreach, prosecutorial overreach. I would reserve, <laughs> excuse me, I would reserve my judgment on that at this point. Um, I can tell you, I understand as well from the defense point of view that there is some concern about what conversations might have been privileged, what not, might might not have been privileged. Um, I can also tell you from uh, what I've watched that this does appear to be, or this is going to be one of those really pure adversarial relationships in the courtroom. And um, so, you know, when I teach my students about the courtroom work group and the prosecution and the defense, it's always posited in, you know, Law and Order and other shows that this is a fight, you know, pitting one side against the other, when in reality, that's it's much more cooperative. However, I think this is going to be one of those cases in which you're going to see this true adversarial relationship play out. Um, I will say the defense also has said that they have solid evidence that Courtney was a victim, I, I really look forward to seeing what evidence that might be. Uh, just a very quick uh, programming note. Tomorrow, a lot of people have been asking um, Jennifer Crumbly, uh, the mother of Ethan Crumbly, the school shooter in uh, Michigan. She's on trial in a first-of-its-kind case. Uh, basically, uh, they brought uh, involuntary manslaughter charges against the mother, I think four counts for each of the deaths. And uh, the the jury is now deliberating so we're gonna have reaction tomorrow uh josh ritter is going to be here um well-known la-based attorney and also ed mcgovern who was a former lieutenant um in the houndale beach police department but he responded to the parkland shootings and he has started his own software company uh it's software um to help prevent mass shootings at schools so uh no one knows more about what happens at school shootings than Ed McGovern, and he will be here with um, Josh Ritter and uh, likely one other panel member. That is going to be tomorrow at 7 p.m. Eastern. And then if Tim can be here, 9 a.m. on Wednesday, Shanna Gardner is back in court, very similar to the Markel Adelson case. Um, she is uh, being brought up on charges of first-degree murder in the death uh, of her husband, Jared Bridegan, and we'll be covering that, hopefully with Tim, if he can clear his own docket. Meanwhile, Laura Walde here, Gifted Five, surviving the survivor memberships. And also a quick warning, Tim Jansen's got to jump out um, at the top of the hour, but Megan and I will probably go a little bit longer. Uh, we'll see how we uh, get through all of this. But so, Tim, 
back to you on this. So two new charges slapped on. Uh, one of them is um, one kind of interception of wire electronic communication. It is, it's a third degree felony. And then she was also charged with one count of unauthorized access or excessive access to a computer for serving as a principal by breaking into her boyfriend's computer. What does this mean in English, these two additional charges? Obviously, she was tampering, it appears like, with evidence, as were the parents. How serious are these charges? Well, they obviously can't prove the tampering, otherwise they would charge tampering. Mm -hmm. So what they're charging is unauthorized access. They may not be able to prove what was deleted. But by filing these charges, it puts the parent, the mother, and the father in a unique position as a defense. It also lets the jury know, right? Because what was she doing after this event? Was she really a victim of abuse and defending herself? Or was she now trying to cover up something that could have been damaging to her story? Um, uh, the state has the right to charge it. She committed this crime they have probable cause, right? Because they have probable cause. They were accessing the computer when he was dead. Now, unless they have something in writing saying they can do that, they don't have the ability to do that. Um, they're not spouses. She wasn't a spouse, I don't believe. I think they were just boyfriend, girlfriend, maybe fiance. Mm -hmm. um, I do agree with Megan. The state and defense lawyers don't like each other. Uh, they don't respect each other. The first comment by the defense lawyer was attacking the state. The judge was not having any of it. Said, that's it, stop. If you can't act professional, we're just gonna end the hearing. And it shut him down. Um, the state did try to stick to the facts. Oh, they, they were pointing their pens at him, their little jabs, but the defense lawyer took the bait and attacked the, the prosecutor. You can't really do that. Um, I see that a lot of times from younger inexperienced lawyers. Judges don't like when you attack each other. It makes their job more difficult, and it is unprofessional. But we've all been there. Someone does something that upsets you, uh, and, and it's just a natural. Hopefully, the defense lawyer will stick to his arguments. He made some good arguments, um, and we'll see. He's, he's throwing out there this big defense. You know, we've seen that before, right? We saw that in the Adelson case. They had this big defense. It was a top-secret defense, and it fell flat. <laughs> this one is not top secret. It's being publicized. And the prosecutor says, great, tell us what your defense is so we can <laughs> properly prepare a response. Um, yeah. Two different kind of theories of defense, but so that's where we are. And Tim, we've talked about it. I mean, one of the uh, notions that the defense is floating out there is that that Obam Selly Christian was dealing in sex trafficking, which is a serious claim to, oh, to be made. So. I want to follow up uh, back with you on that. But Francine Pastena says, hi, Megan, big fan of your direct appeal podcast with Amy, uh, followed Thank here you. by Lady Gaga, who tunes in occasionally. Uh, good evening. Wow. Love the Mitch album interview. Uh, this case baffles me. How can she claim self-defense when we see videos of her being violent? Uh, Megan, speak to that. I mean, there is video yeah. proof out there, a couple different videos where we see her beating on this guy. Um, and we know how he ends up, but is it possible that there was other stuff going on behind the scenes that we haven't seen going in the other direction? Yeah, I think, of course, there was. Um, the information that we have so far is very damning. I mean, Clenny looks very abusive. In fact, she is physically abusing him in these videos. 
Um, so I, I think it would be hard to dispute that. However, we don't see entire videos. Uh, we don't know what happened before or after the events. We don't see other videos that may be in existence, although I'm not sure that there are any, I, I'm not sure if there are others, um, to be frank. However, there is also going to be I would say eyewitness testimony is going to be key here. Uh, do they have friends? Do they have people who were around them who are going to speak to the nature of their relationship and what their actions were? So I think if they're claiming that she is abusive, uh, sorry, if they're claiming that she's a victim of abuse, they're going to have to get other people who witnessed or heard something or saw something to substantiate those claims without any video. Hey, yeah, Joe, right now, it, I don't Joe, know that anyone's it, come forward. Go ahead, Tim. Joe, it's really hard to claim I'm a sex traffic victim when I'm making $3.8 million in the account. Usually the victims aren't the ones getting the money. It's the pimp getting the money or the person that brings them over. She may have been, a, they may have had a volatile relationship, right? Well, what's key in this case? What happened that day? She's getting in the elevator and they broke up. They're back together. She says, and she admits her own interview. She threw the knife at him. Mm -hmm. And then they looked at her. She had no injury. She said that he threw her against the wall. He grabbed her neck. No injuries. Took photos. She says that she threw the knife from 10 feet away. That's ridiculous. The injury, the knife went in like six or eight centimeters into him. The medical examiner said it came from a downward thrust. Mm -hmm. That's where this case is going to be tried. Yeah. Everything else is all red herring. It's all mm. you, he said, she said. That's what a jury is going to look at. And that's why the cops had, did the interview. That's why she, her story wasn't, is completely different than the facts. And she didn't have one injury on her, not one. Right. And then she says she threw the knife and she held it up like you would stab down, not throw, right? So I'm curious to see who this county fair expert is on the knife. So uh, I am too. I have to say, I think. The knife, the wound is the biggest hurdle to overcome the idea that she threw it from a distance. I can't imagine what expert is going to support that idea based on what we already know. But I'd be very curious, too. And I'd love to know what the CV is actually for a knife throwing expert. He doesn't would, have one. Apparently, yeah, he that's right. Have one. <laughs> well, I'd like to know what qualifies um, in a court. I've seen a number of experts, and I'd be really curious to see what qualifies someone um, in that well, in that realm. You know, it's it can be wide open. Experience yeah. alone, if you throw enough knives, you don't have to write a book. You don't have to publish a treatise. Sure. If you've been doing it long enough, and the court finds that you can assist a jury in determining whether a fact maybe. But if he works at a, at a fairgrounds and tossing knives and uh, that's going to be hard right that's a hard sell uh peony pink shout out to you from australia i've been watching a show on netflix called the tourist um i bring it up for two reasons it takes place in australia it's, it's moved a little slow maybe because i've been a little preoccupied but um the other thing is it's the dude from 50 shades of gray and he was in another show on netflix jamie dornan mm -hmm. now that dude that's a good looking guy right there. I told my wife, if you're gonna if you're gonna <laughs> cheat on me, you can do it with Jamie Dornan. Um the, mm. it would it would be a less uh difficult fall for me, but um it's a handsome <laughs> fella. Handsome fella, good look leading man. And uh that's all I have to say about that. Uh, by the way, this photo, I brought this up for a reason. You're looking uh 
it's, it's interesting how different people look in prison jumpsuits, but that is um, Courtney Clenny right there. But the woman to her right for uh, all Dan Markell, Adelson, Katie Magbanawa uh, watchers, that is Tara Kawas, uh, who's on the very right-hand corner. Um, and that, I think, is of interest to uh, to people who are watching this. Uh, quick hello here. I think she is on. Uh, we've got Sue Ann Robinson. I introduced you at the beginning. Sue Ann, you hearing us okay? Yes. Excellent. Um, Sue Ann, for those who missed it, is a lawyer and legal commentator for Court TV. She's been featured on everything, including uh, Fox News, the Black News Channel, the Young Turks, Law and Crime, the list goes on. Uh, and I think she was a prosecutor, prosecutor at 23 years old. So she's been at it uh, for a while, if I read that correctly. Uh, just curious, uh, Sue Ann, uh, we're, we, we're a little ways in here. Um, the fact now we're just getting to the parents uh, being arrested. How does that change the dynamic of this case, in your opinion? I think the parents being arrested changes the dynamic for Courtney because now she has to she's in the position where things that she's done has, is now affecting her parents. I also think that the prosecution is being very smart because, as I've discussed before on other um, platforms, we have to remember that she was not brought in initially. She was out free doing her thing, still posting on Instagram, kind of living her life. And she was later brought in after her parents had to hire legal counsel to essentially investigate the case and put pressure on the Miami-Dade State Attorney's Office to do further investigation. And that's when the other videos came out. That's when more evidence came out to kind of that kind of that pointed the finger at Courtney. So um, keeping that in mind, I'm sure that based on the parents' conversations with Courtney initially, they took a certain position, whether it be to call legal counsel, whether it be to give her advice, et cetera. But part of their counsel or part of what they did at the time included removing items from the apartment that they shared. So that's why they're in the hot seat now. If they were assisting her, got her an attorney, kind of said, hey, do whatever the lawyer says and stepped away, that would be different. I think they put themselves in the hot seat when they actually actively started involving themselves by allegedly removing an item from the apartment that they shared, which later became evidence. And uh, Sue Ann, just so you know who you're talking to, it is uh, Megan Sachs, who is a criminology professor out of New Jersey, and Tim Jansen, uh, Tallahassee's famed criminal uh, defense attorney. Um, Megan, back to you. You know, you study what goes on inside uh, some of these killers' minds and or their families. How rare is it or not rare is it for parents to be dragged into a situation? Uh, records are now showing that uh, many of his belongings, Christian's belongings, were taken from the apartment by unknown people, as they put it. We don't know if, were, if that was the parents at the time, but uh, those belongings were provided to the family. But how rare is this for the parents to, to get themselves involved in a criminal murder case? Yeah, it's certainly not common. I wouldn't say that parents are always involved in these types of cases, interceding on behalf of their children. Although, anecdotally, I can tell you there are enough cases that we know of that I've certainly covered that we've seen in the public. Maybe you might argue the Gabby Petito case where parents have gotten somewhat involved. You know, this all depends on the relationship between child and parent. 
And in this case, it's one of the things that I am so curious about. I would love to know more as a criminologist about the dynamic between Courtney and her parents when Courtney was growing up. Um, I wonder if they were the type of parents who kind of um, catered to Courtney. Was she a little bit more spoiled? Was she demanding then? Um, was she Is she a dependent kind of personality with her parents? So I think knowing more about their relationship would explain the type of involvement that they have now. And I hope that information does come out because we haven't seen much of it yet to date. Oh, Megan, and, I, I think that yeah. their parents started off on a really bad foot because yeah. they weren't truthful to the police with their communications. Right. It was later discovered they, that she was talking to the parents before she called 911. Right. And then the parents said, no, we hadn't talked to her. And then they saw that they had talked to the right before she called nine. So they, the police know that the parents wasn't completely truthful in the beginning. Yeah. And I, I think it obviously looks very bad for everyone. It is very bad that they had conversations before Courtney called 911 and lengthy conversations. It like doesn't minutes, bode yeah. well. It doesn't, it doesn't bode well with me. It wouldn't bode well with anyone to know while this poor man was dying that she's having conversations with her parents. I don't, I don't think, I understand why that, that didn't start the case off or the parents off didn't place them in a good light. Yeah, and these are the parents that you're looking at. It's Kim DeWayne is the father and Deborah Clenny. Uh, so they're accused of trying to break into uh, Christian's laptop. Uh, and then they texted, texted about it in a group chat. And this group chat wasn't just a chat with the parents and Courtney, but it actually involved the attorneys. Mm. Um, and Kim, the father, he's quoted as saying uh, this direct quote, are there any pins slash passwords we can try before you see her tomorrow? Again, this is a quote in a group chat to Courtney's attorneys. Uh, Sue Ann, how problematic is that? Problematic isn't even the word. I mean, you talk about a smoking <laughs> gun in a case where the parents are, are their defense, I anticipate will be, hey, listen, we didn't have anything to do with what she did. We were brought in afterwards and we were just trying to help our daughter with legal counsel. I mean, a smoking gun on trying to break into uh, Christian's laptop would absolutely be a communication where they ask for possible pin numbers or passwords. So I don't know. I mean, they've got several strikes against them. And again, I mean, I, I hate to repeat it, but it's so important for everyone to understand that this case only was brought back up and reinvestigated at the vehement request and strong advocacy of the parents saying, listen, there's something more to this. Our son didn't commit suicide. This is not just a case that needs to slip through the cracks. Please go back. Please review. Please look at this. And I just, what keeps me up at night as a former prosecutor and a criminal defense attorney absolutely are the cases where the parents don't have the wherewithal to do that. How many cases do we not know where uh, the, the investigation is minimal? It's just ruled maybe self-inflicted wounds or something like that, where if further investigation was done, the real culprit would, would come out. It's just, it's mind boggling. 
And that's a good point about the parents raising the issue. Tim, I want to get back to you about the uh, attorney's involvement here and potential problems for them. But uh, first from Jennifer Jansen, the parents benefited financially from um, Courtney Clenny's Clenning's earn Courtney Clenny's earnings on OnlyFans. Uh, Megan, that's definitely a possible motive uh, for why they would want to interfere and get involved. Is it not? It's a motive, but I wouldn't say that's the primary motive here. I think the parents are clearly looking to protect their child. Um, there could, yeah. There's always the possibility of a financial motive, but my best guess and everything that I know would tell me that that was not their primary motive in inserting themselves into this investigation and interfering with it. And I think that they do have a lot of problems. And I think there is, as I mentioned earlier, someone had said, especially the defense was saying this is prosecutorial overreach. Well, I think that you you could maybe argue that, but on the flip side, these people, like Tim said, they have lied, they've interfered. Um, they've done things to help facilitate, I would say, uh, this crime. I mean, that might be, you know, I might need to stay away from that legally, but I, I you know, their involvement, <laughs> their their involvement, their alleged it isn't involvement. good. Their alleged <laughs> involvement, yes. Well, I mean, yeah. some of it looks, you know, like they they have had some involvement, whether or not it's criminal or not. But you know, it's enough to to understand why they've been charged along with Courtney, especially if they are helping um, in any way. Uh, so Yala says, "If I were doing OnlyFans, my parents would disown me." Those are good parents. They probably maybe should. Uh, Nikki Cuds. Gifted five survived in the survivor memberships. Tim Jansen, go right ahead. So, Joe, as a father of two daughters, I hope yes, that his father was not involved with her business where she was making money stripping or whatever she was doing and making a living that way. Yeah. Second, this, this phone call where the attorney's on the phone with the husband, the mother and the father and the daughter. There's no attorney-client privilege anymore, okay? He wasn't representing the husband, a father and the mother. He may have privilege with his client, but once a third party is there, that privilege is no longer available. There's no daughter-father privilege, and there's no mother-daughter privilege. There's husband and wife, but that could be, you know, so I think this is going to be, they're worried about their own charges, and their behavior is not consistent with a daughter calling and saying, he was strangling me. He was going to kill me. I had to, I threw a knife and it hit him because a mother would say, call 911. They wouldn't be doing what they're doing, trying to find evidence, trying to get a computer and get a lawyer. I mean, that's my take on it. And I think jurors are going to see this once they hear the autopsy report, how that knife went in, how deep it went in. Uh, that's going to be the key to this case. Otherwise, it's just a public relations um, drama. You know, as a Um, criminologist, sorry, just want to point out as a criminologist, when it comes to the parents, you know, we look to explain certain behaviors. And in my head pops the idea of learning theory and differential reinforcement. It seems that the parents support Courtney and reinforce her behavior, whether it's bad, whether it's not. But it it doesn't it might certainly suggest why Courtney um was so bold with some of her behaviors or continued to tell stories or I think some of her, her behavior might be explained if you look at the way the parents responded as well. 
Uh, that's an interesting point. Um, it's all about the dynamic, I suppose. Um, Sue Ann, and I'd like to get Tim's take on this uh, as well. So I was reading a quote. So uh, the father, Kim, is trying to get um, in into the uh, pin, into the password. Um, and he later figures out the pin number and then texts, according to these search warrants, he texts the following uh, quote, hell yeah, that pin worked. And then the lawyer responds, Kim, hold off on going through the computer, please. I don't want to turn you into a witness just yet if you find something useful. Again, isn't this really damning? Um, I'm not an attorney, but uh, what does it say to you as a former prosecutor and a current criminal defense attorney? I think it absolutely is a problem for there to be, you know, written evidence in text that the father is communicating that he's breaking into the decedent's computer. Um, and the attorney did what the attorney could do, right? Hey, uh, how about you hold off on that there? Uh, because we probably don't want you actually looking at anything that's in there or seeing anything and then being have to testify about something as to how you got the information since you probably shouldn't have the computer in the first place, you know, but I'm not going to communicate that via text. I'm just going to say, let's back off on jumping into the computer um, and, and kind of keep them at bay as best he could. But, you know, another smoking gun saying I, I got into the computer. I mean, why? And because um, our criminologist guest brought up uh, the Petito case. If this happened in the Petito case where the parents actually had something to show that they um, a, a piece of evidence and they didn't give that over, it would be a mess. It, it would have been a bigger mess. So I feel like this family actually having a paper trail for the fact that they had evidence and they were trying to get into it um, is crazy. The parents shouldn't even be doing that. If they hired legal counsel for her, they should be giving anything they have to the police and having legal counsel advise what needs to be done with what. And that's really a note to all parents. If you want to keep out of that Call legal counsel, make sure your your um, child has the best legal representation possible and cooperate with the police. And Tim, just to Sue Ann's point, do you agree with her? I'll read the quote again. Uh, the lawyer says, Kim, hold off on the father. Uh, speaking of the father says, Kim, hold off on going through the computer, please. I don't want to turn you into a witness just yet. If you find something useful, uh, does that help the defense attorney's case or does that show some sort of complicity? Um, I think that Sue Ann was hinting at the fact that the Lisa lawyer is trying to kind of tamp it down and say, hey, stay away from this. But how do you see it? A better response was, is that your computer? It's not your mm -hmm. computer. You have no authority to go in that computer. I'm not giving you authorization to go in that computer. In fact, as a lawyer, I'm not allowed to have you possibly tamper or obstruct with possible evidence, especially in a murder case. Of course, you don't want this person as a witness. I hope this investigator has a, or this lawyer has a private investigator. That should have been turned over to the police. No one had ownership of it. They were breaking the law, committing a crime by going into it. The lawyer put himself in a really awkward position. Instead of telling him, no, stop, he says, hold off. Should, I would never tell my client, hold off selling that drugs <laughs> until another. You just can't do that. Uh, he's an officer of the court. He should have said, no, you don't have no authority to do that. Um, we'll turn it up. We'll let the police officers know. 
Um, and certainly you don't want the father of the the defendant being the, a witness. Um, uh, and the, the, the lawyer may make himself a witness in the case. Mm -hmm. Well, we, we were witnessing that in the uh, Donna Adelson uh, impending yeah. trial where Dan Rashbaum, there's talk about him being called as a potential witness. But Jody Arrington wants to know, and I'd love to get Sue Ann's take too. Tim, would you take on Courtney as a client? I think someone asked you this before. In light <laughs> of the incriminating evidence against her as early as the arrest, do you, would you uh, defend someone where uh, you've got a mountain of evidence against you? You know, we don't decide to take cases based on what the evidence is, right? If, if you're truly a defense lawyer, you're there to protect their rights and make sure they get a fair trial, make sure they're charged, what they're charged, what they're convicted. Your job is just to make sure the process goes fairly. You don't judge your clients. You try not to judge them like a doctor. You go to a doctor. They don't ask you how you got this. You treat them. Um, so I, I we have a saying in our business. I wouldn't take her case now because no one wants to operate on patients that are half dead. The lawyers have done all this stuff out there, thrown this stuff out there. Now you're coming in the last minute trying to revive this case based on all these, what lawyers have done. Any lawyer would rather come in early and have control of the defendant and the defense. Uh, I do get cases sometimes where I take over for, and you have to live with the, hiccups that the prior lawyer had and it's not fun it's not easy but she's courtney clenny is entitled to a defense a vigorous defense not an unethical one not one tried in the media but a ethical defense you know by a lawyer uh shout out to analytical blarney a friend of the show who has now gifted five more uh surviving the survivor memberships um very generous uh sue Ann, to you would you take the case is this a case that you would touch i i wouldn't touch it and the reason why is because i would just think that courtney claney has put herself in a terrible position and i mean at this point um, you know, initially, if they're calling me at two o'clock in the morning saying, hey, the state attorney has reinvigorated this case and now they're pointing the finger at our daughter, what can you do? Then I think she's in a different, completely different situation. But I think at this point, the attorney has now made himself a witness in the case. The client, the family has demonstrated that they're prepared to essentially um put the attorney in a compromising position because they're having them hit the parents have a conversation that breaks attorney client privilege like these aren't clients that i want these aren't the clients that any defense attorney wants <laughs> the clients that are going to have you um end up with all kinds of ethical violations <laughs> because they're forcing conversations first of all i wouldn't have a whatsapp three-way family chat with the parents I'm mm -hmm. going to be consulting and speaking with directly with my client. If she wants me to communicate something to her parents, then she can communicate whatever it is to her parents. But even if the parents are the payees and let's get into the weeds on it, even if the parents are paying the bill, they are not the client. And I'm not going to have um, a three way communication with them about the substantive facts of the case, about getting paid, perhaps about um, basic mm. things that aren't going to affect the substantive 
um, procedural posture of the case? Absolutely. Um, you know, I went to see her today. She didn't look too good. You guys might want to put a little bit more money on her books. But in terms of, you know, substantive issues on the case, I'm not talking to the clients about that. I'm, I mean, her parents on the phone about that. I'm not texting with them about that. We're not having in-person meetings because Courtney is the client. And that's the bottom line. And I think that's kind of where counsel started going off the rails. And it's easy to happen. If you have very involved parents and you're not super experienced, it's easy to go off the rails. But I hope this is a cautionary tale to, to young lawyers. Hey, listen, the parents can be involved, but you have to focus on who the client is. Uh, it's interesting because Dan Rashbaum told me that Charlie Adelson was the best client he's ever had, and he's tried <laughs> umpteenth cases. So you never know who a defense attorney is going to like. Um, Megan, back to you. And I know you touched on some of this. Uh, Jerry Michael, friend of the show, on here often. Isn't it interesting that we are seeing parents being looked at in these crimes, like the Crumbly case? The dynamics are different. Obviously, uh, there's a uh, it's a verdict watch right now. That's a school shooting case. Then we're talking Donna Adelson, the mother, the matriarch, and then these parents. Um, do you walk down a slippery slope? I mean, at least with Ethan Crumbly, we'll get more into it tomorrow, um, of kind of defining where a parent's role is in terms of a child's criminal behavior. Uh, it gets a little, I don't know. It does it get murky? Shaky. Yes. Um, we've often heard that in our field, do you hold parents responsible for children's behavior? And I talked before about how I thought possibly Courtney's parents, their behavior reinforced Courtney's bad behavior, which I think is a distinct possibility. Now, if their behavior that was non-criminal reinforced it, we don't hold parents responsible. Um, it's very clear, let's just say, in Donna Adelson's case, why she's being charged with crimes. It's also, I think, very clear here why Courtney's parents are being charged with crimes. It's because their activity is illegal. Um, there is a slippery slope that I, I teach about and I, I've looked at when it comes to parents of shooters and mass shooters in particular, like the Crumbly case and what we're seeing being charged. Um, there was a, there's been a vilification of parents in the media. Certainly that happened with the parents of the Columbine shooters, um, with Eric and Dylan. The parents were thought they were blamed. Um, mm. Do I think we should inherently hold parents guilty for all the acts of their children? No, I don't think that. I think that parents can even be aware of some of the issues their children are having, but not know what to do. Or perhaps they are seeking help for their children. Perhaps... There's any number of explanations, but we have to draw the line where the Parents Act is actually criminal as defined by the law and how egregious, I guess, those criminal acts are. So I do understand why um, Crumbly is on trial, uh, but I don't think there should ever be a blanket policy. Absolutely not that we hold parents responsible for the acts of their children. Yeah, there's a lot of nuances uh, based on sure. different cases. Dylan Klebold's mother, Susan Klebold, is actually supposed to come on this show. It's something I've been working on for a long time, and uh, hopefully we'll get her on. And if we do, uh, we can invite Megan and Amy back because they yeah. uh, study the criminal mind. So that'd be an interesting uh, show. Hopefully we'll pull it off. Um, a Busby gifted five surviving to surviving memberships. Thank you. And then we've got Miss Brazy, friend of the show. The apple never falls far from the tree. My parents would have tried to ground me, even as an adult, if I were in a site <laughs> like 
OnlyFans, hashtag <laughs> STS best guest. So Tim Jansen, just back to the parents now for a minute. So um, according to prosecutors, there was a criminal intent, intent that was uh, in, uh, apparent here uh, that we were just talking about the fact that they were on this basically four way what's app chat with these attorneys. What um, are the realistic repercussions for the parents of uh, that could come from these charges? Well, they're third degree felonies, punishable up to five years. They probably have no criminal history, I would take it. They're probably looking at probation. Um, I, I think they're trying to send a message to the parents to stop. I think they're trying to build and break that wall of these people intermingling with each other. Um, it certainly doesn't help Courtney's case, knowing that the parents were illegally trying to get into the victim's computer. That throws, it's up on the wall. The jurors are going to, someone, one on that juror is going to say, that doesn't sound like self-defense. Sounds like just trying to cover up a crime. Um, and no, we don't hold our parents because you could be a good parent. You could be a bad parent. I've got clients who are great parents, but the kids get addicted to drugs and they can't get them off it. They take them to camps. They, they go to inpatient and they just, this thirst for drugs and the parents are at wits ends. And then finally the parents I've had parents say, leave them in jail. I can't do anymore. Let them sit in jail for a while. Maybe that'll work. So, but on the other hand, you've got some parents who are, are, are incur not encouraging, but turning a blind eye, giving them money, letting them do things they know is improper. Um, and damages are caused, injuries, and people die. Yeah. If they could have stopped it or they knew what was about to happen or they were reckless with a gun, they could be held responsible and should be held responsible. Mm-hmm. Uh, by the way, I, I, Sue Ann Robinson uh, hopped on a little late, but I knew she had to jump early. It was short, uh, but sweet. We'll get her back on, obviously. A charismatic attorney. Um, Yala here. Uh, Tim, how much of the, the defense attorney's time is spent managing the client's <laughs> lunacy? And then another one for you. <laughs> oh, my gosh. If I could tell you the hours I spent with lunas, lunatic parents that have unrealistic expectations. Um, that don't understand and you try to, and maybe that's why I always break things down to the, because I'm so busy telling parents, this is how it works. This is what's going to happen. And you, because, you know, parents want to help their children. Um, but the process, the legal process is foreign to many people and mostly parents uh, because most of them have never been in trouble. Now I get kids who parents were in trouble I don't have to explain anything to them. They know this system. They're like, get the best deal you can get for my client. But it's 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 the college kids. The parents are college educated, never been in trouble, and then the kid does a doozy. Um, you spend a lot of time with the family, a lot of time. Uh, by the way, Tim is going to have to bounce. I think at the top of the hour, and at that point, um, we'll take some uh, questions for the criminology professor inside the mind of uh, this killer and others. Um, if Megan, if you if you want to or can sure. stick around for a few extra minutes, we'll uh, we'll take some bonus questions at the end. But uh, this one's back to Tim from Annie K. Uh, and please put the questions with those capital Q's. It helps me. Uh, is the arrest of the parents? Tim Jansen, a ploy of some kind by the prosecution to get a more accurate or real confession by Courtney. In other words, are they leaning on her? They could lean on the parents, but the parents, my understanding, they have money. They're going to get an experienced lawyer. The lawyer is going to tell them, hey, you're not really looking at anything. 
you're going to get a withhold adjudication if they can prove it. Your charge will probably be after the trial. They'll probably drop it. I think they're just trying to curb their behavior. They may call them as witnesses um, or limit them as defense witnesses, right? Because if the defense is going to call them as a witness, right? Well, you're facing charges, aren't you, for going into this victim's computer? Why'd you do that? Was that to help with the self-defense or was that to help defend your daughter in her defense? You know, it, it could be very harmful to two witnesses potentially for the defense. Gen X granny, one of our uh, mods, Joel's dressing for winter in Miami. Uh, it did drop <laughs> below 70 today and there was a sprinkle out there. And uh, my mink, my mink coat is at the dry cleaners. So uh, oh my gosh, I had funny. to opt for the hoodie, but um, yes, my blood has thinned. And um, I think I've said it before. I have seasonal affect disorder. And if the sun doesn't come out by tomorrow, I might have to cancel all shows until the sun comes back out, but I don't know what's going on. It was beautiful <laughs> on Saturday. And then um, Sunday it was horrible. And today, it was horrible. Um, so I don't know what to tell you, but yeah, I'm freezing. So, Joel, um, Joel what does horrible mean to you? I'm just curious. Well, growing so up in Jersey, Ma- growing up in Jersey, Megan, you know, uh, you know this firsthand. Every other day in New Jersey is gray or cold. Um, <laughs> yeah, so I want to know what it means to you to be horrible in Miami. I expect, I expect <laughs> six days a week of sunshine, anything less than that. And my seasonal affect disorder is triggered. <laughs> and, um, I have okay. to put on the hoodie, and again, I don't know. Um, I may have to get a fur coat. I'm going to be one of those Miami. <laughs> there are Miamians. The minute Elton the minute John. it drops below it seventy, yeah, <laughs> I'll be I'll be like Elton John. It will be. By the way, I just want to go on the record because I got hate hate email about this. I've been sick. Uh, most people know I have COVID, which I'm getting over. But oh. we got a new puppy. Um, Frederick Milton Roosevelt Brown, uh, the M and the R for Mabel Rose. Uh, Fred is because our other dog is Ethel. So you got Fred and Ethel and uh, he's chocolate brown. So there is his name. <laughs> but I was accused of getting him in my in my COVID fog. The night we got him, I went to a place called Pet Supermarket to get supplies like a little cushiony bed, some wee wee pads, stainless steel bowl. I did not get fred i did not i repeat did not get fred from a puppy store a pet store a puppy mill it's a breeder i know who raises dogs on a farm in north carolina one of the sweetest little puppies i've ever seen sleeping through the night occasionally annoying the coe uh breaking out of his little home in the middle of the (laughs) evening like he is in uh san quentin and winding up in odd places, and he's terrified of Ethel, who's being loving, but uh, he finds the small slit. He's not even two or three pounds yet, but anyway, I did not get him at a pet store. I went to Pet Supermarket to get the supplies, and that's where I saw the chinchilla that I spoke of that was missing a couple of toes. So please don't send me hate mail about that. That drove me crazy. Anyway. And by the way, there was another person today, now that I'm on a tirade, who sent me a two-star or one-star review, obviously trying (laughs) to get under my skin. The one thing you're not going to call me, Brad, and I posted it on Instagram, whatever your name is, is that I come to these shows unprepared. You can say I'm obnoxious. You can say I'm dumb. You can say, but 
Ill-prepared is not one of them. I spend time preparing for all these shows, and I spend a lot of it. You can ask the COE. So don't come at me with that garbage. Thank you. I'm over that. Um, Megan Sachs, that's a jersey in me coming out. Um, I get it. Yeah, yeah. It irritates the crap out of me. Some days, the trolls, I just can't take them, but I I still love them. I still love them, but I can't take them. (laughs) Um, So... Kim Wald, we had her on the show. She's actually the uh, civil attorney for Christian Obumselli's family now. And she had a quote. Uh, she's coming back on the show next week. But she her okay. quote goes as follows. These charges against the Clenny crime family is <laughs> only confirmation that her parents are the ringleaders of the lies and deceit perpetrated in this case publicly. Now, that's a damn kind of like that's that's harsh. And uh, it comes on the heels of the parents arrest. Is this just gamesmanship or do you think this is really just bad blood between these attorneys right now? This question is for me. Yes, ma'am. <laughs> OK, <laughs> I didn't know we were directing this one. That's all yours. All right. Um, well, I really can't be sure. I will say that it's 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 become kind of an extreme position calling them, you know, this organized crime family. and. I wouldn't exactly say because or based on the charges that the parents are the ringleaders, you know, they have alleged involvement here. Um, I do think there's bad blood, though, as well. I will say that. I absolutely think that. But I would let Tim answer that one. Probably he could probably answer that better than I could. Very quickly, I just want to add something. Space Coast, my brother-in-law, the COE's brother, uh, one of the smartest guys I know. He's in the chat. He always is. He's always taking care of the tech side. And he could attest to this. Um, the COE is a beautiful human being with one of the most loving hearts, even though she likes to snap every once in a while. And uh, I'm, I'm, I'm in stunned disbelief at the crush that she has on downtown Freddie Brown. She's in love with this dog. But I'll tell you why I'm scared, because Freddie Brown is little. He's tiny. And uh, the COE is loving cuddling him. But the COE... <laughs> And I'm revealing a lot here. She once had a bird. She once had a bird as a young child. And that bird slept with the COE. And after that night of sleep, the bird was no more. Um, it was accidentally, um, its life <laughs> was horrible. snuffed out by the COE's sort of a killer, I guess you could say. And um, she was eight. I was eight. Um, so I worry. A killer cuddler. A killer cuddler. She, yeah, she's a very deep sleeper, but the amount of love that the COE has shown to downtown Fred Brown has been remarkable. I did not know that she's had it had it in her, but it's amazing to watch. And <laughs> Canine, Catherine from Maui, Buzz Off Brad, these trolls are going to be the end of me. It can be absolute end of me, and then people are going to say, don't give these trolls attention. It's the jersey in me. I cannot let it go, but I will let it go now. Um, <laughs> so there you go. Um, Tim Jansen, Frank Prieto, who's the defense attorney, who's making these crazy allegations about, yeah. um, you know, Christian Obamselli, uh dealing in sex trafficking. He came out with a couple more quotes that I thought were interesting. And he says, and I quote, I can't explain why these charges were brought to begin with. He's talking about the parents other than you will have to ask the state attorney's office Uh, And then he talks more broadly and he goes, we're extremely surprised and very concerned about the arrest of the Clenny family. This could be an example of prosecutorial overreach and miss 
conduct. The Clennies have quite a story, and it's a story the state of Florida maybe does not want the public to hear. This guy uh, barks, man. He barks loudly, and uh, he's welcome on the show, but um, he's basically calling out the state here. What do you make of this? Really bad lawyering. Um, he's No one really cares about his opinion why the state brought the charges. Mm-hmm. They brought the charges. He said in court today, the state attorney, she's been there for 25 years. He used to work for her, and a judge used to work for her. So it's their prerogative to bring the charges. He's not representing them. It seems like he's so caught up in the media of this case that he feels he's got to respond. Maybe the euphoria of being popular and media attention has gotten to him. He does not need to be responding to this. He doesn't represent them. Um, and the and the civil lawyer saying that calling him the crime family, that's a little aggressive. You better have evidence to back that up. Now, I know she saw, she said it after they got charged. She's, she has no protections. She's damaging their reputation. She could be sued uh, for that kind of conduct. Now, if she says they're, they're criminal, their actions are criminal, what they tried to do, the state attorney, that's one thing. But to call them a crime family, that's over the, he's just, she was just as bad as um, the defense lawyer. I, I don't know why he's, he feels like he's got to go to the media so much. Is this a Miami thing? You know, you got Dan, now you got this guy. We yeah, usually funny. try our cases in courtrooms, not in the media. Yeah. In Miami, I feel like they're too busy, like, clubbing. I never hear from an attorney ever here. I'm surprised they're actually covering this uh, at the local NBC station um, here in Miami, which is surprising. They never even touched the uh, Adelsons, and they were, they were from South Florida, and that was way more high-profile, at least, um, at the point we're at now with that case. But uh, this guy, uh, Frank Prieto, the defense attorney, uh, Megan, back to you on this. He said, uh, and this is another quote that's odd to me. Um, he said there was clear evidence of self-defense and goes on to say Courtney had no choice but to meet force with force. Yet there appear to be, unless there's something being hidden, absolutely no indication of that. I mean, is he pigeonholing himself in a really bad spot here. <laughs> We've definitely seen this before, but yeah, I think so, because he's going to have to have something big, a big show here. And I don't know that he has it based on the actual crime scene and the incident. What I think he is referring to is I think he's going to try to make a case that it was a pattern. And I do think he's going to pull out whoever he can, whether it's friends of Courtney or other people, as witnesses to say she was afraid there was an altercation. It was close to this event. So I don't think it's going to have much to do with the evening of the crime. Um, But, you know, he has been talking a big talk here. We'll see what he has to show. Yeah, he better have something to show for Tim Jansen. A couple of details before I know you have to uh, get going. The trial date is still unknown. The state is blaming it on all the defense shenanigans. Uh, and the state's also asking for a partial gag order. Uh, do you think that there should be a gag order in place here? The judge is supposed to rule on this tomorrow, by the way. I, I told you early on that I thought the state would be filing a motion to have, impose a gag order. There is no reason why there should not be a gag order. It's clear the defense has not been able to limit their comments to the procedural non-substantive information. 
and it's now getting for trial. Now they've got TMZ going to do a docu-series with apparently witnesses in the case. That's just abs- oh. the judge wants a fair trial. I believe that a gag order should be uh, imposed. And both part, I, I won't say the state, because the state, all the state did was they did, they did the normal. These are the charges. This uh, what, the, what the charges were. They're allowed to do that. Mm-hmm. And he could have come out there and said, we deny it. And we, we, we're going to fight this at trial. And we believe we have evidence we're going to succeed at trial. He doesn't need to say any more. He's getting paid. Why does he got to do the media? He's getting paid well, yeah. hopefully. Speak less, do more. Uh, big, a- big Apple Hoosier, COE, I'm enjoying my after-work red wine, as you should, in an STS cup. Um, I'm trying to get the COE to, to work with a different merch store so we can get hats. And the store we have right now doesn't have hats, but the link is still I got to go, there. Megan. It was a pleasure. Tim, you're nice the man. To, nice Always to see Tim. you, Tim. Nice to meet you. We'll you talk too. Shannon Gardner, Tim. Thank you. Thanks, Tim. So uh, it leaves two Jerseyans right here. What else could you <laughs> ask for? What What else could you ask for? I love it, Joel, because uh, you're talking about, like, I want to let it go, but I can't. And I'm like, oh, that, that sounds like me. I want to let it go, but. <laughs> the only person I know who would be. Would be too. <laughs> Amy would be going nuts, too, right now. I know. Oh, I know Amy would. definitely. Yeah. You know, Look Amy. Um, Amy takes some of the hate mail more personally than I do. I can let it roll yeah. off me a little bit, but she takes it a little more personal. Yeah, Amy and I definitely would not take it well. Black Widow comes to us from the Republic of Ireland, and she says that I raise yeah. her blood pressure. Um, there you go. <laughs> finally, I'm, finally, I'm raising someone's blood pressure. Is that, is that a compliment? Um, <laughs> I'm not sure. I, from her, I think it might be. Okay. Uh, Black Widow is a, a character. I love her. She's a character, and I look forward to meeting her one day. So what do you think about this? Do you think um, – you know, there should be a gag order. You think the judge has to step in here and say, hey, pipe down to both sides? Yeah, I definitely do. And I, But I would agree with Tim. I don't think the prosecution's really stepped um, over the line. I think the prosecution is, you know, you have to do some press. You have to, of course, um, give the facts, what we're doing, uh, you know, what charges are, things that are official, right? Official charges, official things that are part of the record, proceedings, things of that nature. But I think the defense is the one who's stepping over the line. And it's a bad look. It's a terrible look. It it makes things ugly. Um, it taints the process. And I think as Tim said, you don't try your case in the media. You try it in the courtroom. So yes, I think the gu- the, the judge at this point, I think they should impose a gag order and just keep everything a little neater, a little cleaner and contained to the courtroom. Megan, out of curiosity, and you know, there's no one that loves New Jersey more than me, but do you wake up <laughs> on a February day when it is dreary for the 19th day in a row and say, why the hell do I live in this weather? Do you ever ask yourself that? I'm not kidding you when I say I ask myself this every day. I'm also not kidding you when I tell my partner, not my crime partner, Amy, but my partner, (laughs) James, um, we need to look for an area that's warmer. We need to relocate um, to somewhere where we can feel the sunshine a little bit more, you know, with the cold. As I get older, I hate to say it, but the cold is starting to bother me more. It happens. I'm telling you. And um, that's why half the half the state has moved down to Florida or they moved to Arizona, even Arizona. Yeah, you know, I joke. I always say that the worst weather in the country is in San Diego because it's never too hot and it's always got a little cool in the air and people think I'm crazy, but I like it hot. So, uh, 
even in the summer here when it's like 100 degrees and 100% humidity, I, I like it. But um, And, and I, I love Jersey because there's nothing more real than Jersey. I could do without the Lambos and the <laughs> Chanel bags and all that. But um, it's kind of nice having palm trees in February. But I should probably shut up since the rest of the country right now, it's February. Um, so the, how about that? Uh, New Mexico yeah. has over 300 days of sunshine. This is a true story. One of my best friends in the world is – Matthew Nelson Brode, otherwise known as Matt Brode. And Matt Brode is the chief meteorologist for KVOA in Tucson, Arizona. But he grew up in Ann Arbor, Michigan, and his only dream in life ever was to be in cold weather. He is obsessed about being in cold <laughs> weather, and he works in Tucson. When he first started off, his first weather job was Duluth, Minnesota, where he had to use a blowtorch to melt his car door thing <laughs> to get the key in. And all he wants to do is move back to Duluth. So it's it's weird how different people have. If I lived in Duluth, I wouldn't be alive very long. Let's put it that way. Let's put You'd it. You'd be miserable. So we get I would it. Be. So Megan, uh, there was an interesting story that NBC News has reported, and uh, now is the time. By the way, if you have questions for yeah. criminologist Megan Sachs, give me the triple Qs, and we will ask questions. Um, NBC News reported this is a a, a disturbing story. That Courtney Clenny, who was awaiting the uh, these these murder charges uh, and still was not in jail, I guess at the time she's she's from Austin and she was uh, living there. She meets a teenager on a street in her neighborhood. By the way, she moved back and she bought herself a million dollar home because she's got a lot of money from OnlyFans. Um, so she meets this teenager in this neighborhood and she says to the teenager, "Kiss me." And he declines, and he's a teenager, so he gets a little nervous. Um, and she responds by screaming at him in a drunken rage. This is all according to the father now. I'm going to burn your house, is what Courtney Clenny says to this teenager. I'm going to burn that S down. Uh, at that point, when she says that to him, and again, this is a story from NBC News, a legitimate media outlet. This is a quote from the father. The father says, she, he showed up because the, the son called, and then she freaked out, direct quote. She approached me. She started slapping me as I was standing between her and my son. Assuming that this is a true story, because NBC News ran it, um, and these quotes are attributable to the father, what do you make of this behavior, especially in light of the fact that this is after the murder? Right. So, I mean, I definitely would say, even though NBC is credible, this is what one side is alleging. So, you know, you have to take that with a grain of salt. So I'll just go on the information reported here. It doesn't surprise me one bit to hear that. Um, I don't believe that um, Courtney, you know, I don't I, I believe that we're going to I don't know if you'll hear about it in trial. But it wouldn't surprise me one bit if you heard from previous partners, acquaintances, friends that she's been abusive or violent before. And I certainly wouldn't expect her violence to necessarily stop. You would think it would be a good deterrent, um, which we talk about in our field a lot, right, to be charged with a second degree murder. Um, however, if this is part of her pattern, if she is abusive, if she has a temper that she cannot control. Also, I'd like to say, we don't blame it on alcohol, but I know that alcohol abuse was also part of her problem. 
alcohol inflames these situations. So if she was also drinking, it doesn't surprise me one bit that she would resort back to this type of behavior. It's terrifying. Yeah, when she, it really yeah, she is was scary a, when you think about it. It's 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 super scary. Um, and I know someone, I know a guy, a very good friend of mine that was in a somewhat similar relationship. And it's, it's you know, the dynamic is, the general generally i think men have a tougher time being believed um they or do. it's just kind of yeah or it's just kind of blown off as a you know you know oh you're a wuss or whatever you know it's like it's it's joked about but um it is it's scary i saw some uh uh switches flipped in that relationship from the female side and it was frightening um that's something we from, talk about Joel sorry a lot also yeah. in in my courses and in our field uh the narrative of domestic violence don't get me wrong the percentages the numbers are certainly higher in terms of victimization and females but one of the reasons for that is that males don't report as and, and females don't report either for various reasons but with males there's this stigma there's this shame there's Nobody would believe that or, you know, there's so many things that accompany males not reporting and it not being taken seriously. So I think this case, while absolutely tragic and avoidable, at least opens a very good public dialogue about males as victims and their rights and what, you know, the defense should be for them as well. Putting that out there for people to talk about and to digest and understand. That, that's a great point, and I think that is very important. Um, the The father goes on to tell NBC News about Courtney Clenny after she slaps the father. I will tell you that that person is aggressive. Uh, that person is inclined to hurt somebody, especially when she's under the influence. I'm not a judge yeah. or a jury, but I can tell you this person is disturbed. She's a menace, uh, the father says. And it's a good time to, to remind people that Courtney Clenny was arrested at a rehab facility, I believe, in Hawaii for alcoholism. Uh, she also said that she was suffering from uh, PTSD. So it is obviously a bunch of different things that are uh, influencing influencing her uh, her behavior. Um, none of which are being condoned, but she's obviously got a lot going on. Um, Pam Coggin mm -hmm. uh, to Megan: Which case hurled you into podcasting? Which cases hit you the hardest? The case that hurled me into podcasting was the Melanie McGuire, Melanie McGuire case. And that happened here in New Jersey. Um, and <clears throat> Melanie was convicted of the murder and dismemberment of her husband. And it was a, an extremely uh, salacious case. It involved an affair, a beautiful defendant, a young couple, you know, this, this un unbelievable murder. And it also involved a defendant who has always maintained her innocence and reached out with some hopes of someone covering her story, giving it some attention. And so that case was the first one to put me into podcasting. So that was Direct Appeal, the podcast that we did, mm -hmm. where we literally looked at, you know, Melanie's Direct Appeal, both literally and figuratively, I guess, in the courts and to the public. Um, that yeah. case fascinated me. What happened after that was that uh, a lot of people wrote in and they really wanted to hear cases about females in, in different ways as offenders, as victims, as possible wrongful convictions. And so that's what kind of got us into women in crime, trying to cover different cases. 
Um, there are ones that stick with me in terms of there's different reasons why, you know, there are ones that almost hurt my feelings, um, that still make me very, very sad. The case of, um, Shannon Christian and her boyfriend, Chris Newsom, their violent abductions and, and murders really, um, I had such a hard time covering that case and it's stuck with me ever since. And I think about them all the time. There are other cases that maybe inspire you. You know, they inspire somewhat of a change. So even if they're tragic, they can have a possible silver lining. I would say a lot of them stick with me, to be honest. And then there's just ones that I remember from when I was young. Um, the Jennifer Levin case has always stayed with me. Um, Jennifer Levin, who was murdered in Manhattan, you know, preppy by killer. Robert Chambers, the preppy killer. That one's always stayed with me because of the victim blaming that happens in that case. Um, and her case, though, helps move the ball forward. So they all hit you for different reasons and stay with you for different reasons. But thank you for the question. Yeah, and Megan and Amy are uh, two of the best and uh, from Thanks, Jersey, Joel. so you can't beat it. <laughs> uh, Brooklyn here. Uh, Joel, I live in North Dakota. We just had cold in the minus 30s. <laughs> Makes you grow thick skin. Uh, love the show. I will uh, prefer to not grow thick skin. Uh, here's a question <laughs> from uh, PSS, our friend, the surgeon. Uh, if there wasn't so much video evidence of Courtney Clenny being abusive, where do you think the court of public opinion uh, would rule here, Megan? Good question. Yeah, that's a great question. I think there'd be a tendency, unfortunately, to view Courtney as a victim because she's a female. Um, I think there are also, you know, issues in this case, frankly, of uh, race that are going to, you know, race is kind of insinuated into a lot of cases. And I think sometimes rightfully so, and sometimes wrongfully so. Sometimes race is just a demographic or a characteristic of people involved. In this case, it did seem in the videos that part of Courtney's abuse was to use racial slurs and denigrations um, to demean her victim in, in, and make him feel badly, uh, you know, verbally, emotionally, mentally. So I, I think that, unfortunately, we are still in a time where without any video evidence coming off the bat, there would be a belief probably that a smaller white female would be more likely to be victimized by a larger black male. Unfortunately, I do think that. Yeah, and she's also, I think, accused of uh, giving, I think her boyfriend was like Mr. Olympia and giving him a concussion, like punching him in the head. And he, so there's all, there's other stories out there. Uh, the thing that's, to me, yeah. that, that just jumps jumps out at me on this case, Megan, is um, the night of the murder. She tells um, that she tells investigators that she, quote unquote, flung the knife from 10 feet away, like some kind of ninja. The medical examiner right. said there's just no way. But isn't that isn't that weird? Um, I mean, this thought of basically being, you know, at some weird angle from 10 feet away and you're just going to chuck a knife like very odd is it stands out to me i don't know if it does for you people make irrational decisions when they have what we call like bounded rationality like when they need mm -hmm. to come up with a quick explanation or a shortcut maybe in her head very quickly she just didn't want to connect herself to the knife to him directly maybe she thought this allows me a degree of separation from the actual crime right i'm not stabbing him directly i'm throwing something 
Mm-hmm. Um, there's any number of reasons that people would offer what seem like somewhat ridiculous explanations, as this one does seem, and as this one's going to be so hard to support if that's what the defense stays with. So when you're in a, a, a state of irrationality, it's really hard to offer a perfectly rational explanation. But this one, this one's going to be a doozy. Yeah. Uh, Jonathan Judd with another interesting question. Uh, with the videos already out there showing Courtney attacking Christian, why hasn't the defense attorney released any videos showing Christian as the attacker? I mean, I got to ask you, Megan, do you believe that that video yeah. even exists? No, I don't. Um, I, I could be completely wrong, but I think that the reason it's not out there is because I don't think it exists. There's a lot of video that was captured here. Um, more so than we've seen in some other cases. But my sneaking suspicion tells me if there is video with Christian, it's going to be similar to one that I saw earlier today. And that was an argument that they had in Colorado where she's attacking him. She's physically attacking him. She's hitting him. And the most I can see him doing is, you know, pushing her back and also kind of holding her, trying to control her, I think, in terms of controlling her violence towards him. So I suspect that those are the kind of videos, if the defense has, we'll see. But I don't think it moves the ball forward for them right now in the press because it's not, I don't think what they have is going to show Christian as an aggressor. Hmm. That remains to be seen, though. Frankly, that remains to be seen in court. And maybe, you know, maybe the defense team, who seems to be doing a lot of press, is holding on to some of the videos that they have for the courtroom. But I, I just have a feeling they don't have anything quite as damning as what we've seen on Courtney as um, the abuser. And then um, one of the final things I wanted to uh, just go over, uh, this is sort of eyewitness reports from the building. I think I was saying the COE and I have uh, a couple friend that was actually living in this building. It's known for being, you know, loud. It's in a hip area of Miami where everyone's partying at all hours of the night. But um, a neighbor basically came forward uh, and said that the the yelling and the screaming coming from the apartment was, you know, was almost too much to take um, and described it as domestic of domestic violence. His name is Aiden Nisvisky. Um, Does it surprise you that there were these reports out there um, of this? No, it's no surprise. Um, some I will say some abusers are very careful to keep things quiet behind closed doors. They are more methodical. Courtney does not seem like one of those. Their um, arguments got heated quickly. Uh, They are very loud. Um, There's hitting. It's probably on off hours. So I'm not surprised to hear that. And I wasn't surprised to hear. uh, I don't know if this is actually true, but that the building was moving to evict her because of these numerous complaints. Um, It's just unfortunate that out of all these complaints, There was no intervention that could have saved his life because I think it's possible that there could have been. And that becomes a theme in these cases of abuse that escalate as well. Yeah. And it seems to have no end. And it also seems to be stuff that's been going on since the beginning of time. But uh, Mrs. Jim Morrison, a couple more questions. Uh, Do you think they're going to demonstrate, this is interesting, a knife throwing performance? I would love to see how Courtney can land and throw. They did talk about this knife expert. You think that's something we would see in court, Megan? 
Listen, the knife expert is kind of a new um, expert for me. So (laughs) you do see demonstrations in court. You also see video demonstrations. So where things are tested kind of in a laboratory or more scientifically. Um, So at times you will see that. I don't think you're going to see a demonstration in court. But we'll see if the judge allows anything that they've assembled ahead of time, um, whether it's graphics or whether it's video. Um, I'm not sure how scientific that would be, though. So I don't know. It's anyone's guess on that. Like I said, this is completely new to me in in this piece of uh, testimony and and the evidence that they are going to offer to support it. And Megan, I think you touched on this, but maybe not as directly as this question is asking. Can you please comment on someone like Courtney Clenny, whose default interactions are violent tantrums and abusive acting out, that that's what they turn to? What, what does it tell you about that person? Yeah, someone like that typically has what we call low self-control. And whether you believe that that is instilled or uh, something born with or bred with, um, that's a big argument in our field, but people with low self-control have uh, factors such as impulsivity, um, short-term planning, so no real ability for long-term. They have self-centeredness, a need to be the self, uh, you know, the center of attention, and they are quick to anger, very um, demonstrable tempers that rise quickly. So Courtney's attributes remind me of someone with low self-control. I almost think she fits the T. The question is, was Courtney, and this is the big one, was Courtney kind of born this way or was there a shaping of this in her, you know, external? Was it environmental? Hmm. Um, Megan, you and I are lucky. We're missing some of the the chat drama. Bonnie Lee Lopez says it best. Why don't the trolls say their nastiness for another channel? This channel (laughs) is a positive vibe. Please, let's keep it that way. Agreed. I agree. Um, It's amazing uh, what is uh, what goes on when it doesn't need to go on. Um, Texas, eighteen thirty six. Border. I know you're not a therapist, but um, does it sound like borderline personality disorder here? So, borderline personality disorder definitely has features. Um, You know, there's unstable relationships. Mm, There is unstable moods, mood swings. There are characteristics that would match up with borderline personality. I'm not sure if that's, I've seen clearer cases, let's put it that way, where I would know offhand immediately, okay, that's that someone is very clearly borderline. I think it's a possibility though, and it's a good question. Mm. And look at this from Ned Smith. Uh, this is, I finally figured out a super chat, not a super sticker, because there's a chat. <laughs> I never do the difference. Joel, I'm glad you're on the men. Great guests and congrats on, on your new adorable puppy. Speaking of that, speaking of that, that's downtown Fred Brown. Oh my gosh! Get out! That's so cute. That's downtown Fred Brown. That's my I love son. The nickname, downtown Fred Brown. It's great. Yeah. Uh, look at his eyes in the middle. He's got like bluish, crazy eyes, and that's Horrible. my little Z bugs on the right. And this is Vita oh. Aaliyah, who's a nine-year-old going on twenty-seven. But uh, look at downtown <laughs> Fred Brown's eyes. Yeah, uh, this beautiful. Is, by the way, this is causing a lot of uh, drama in the chat. Um, <laughs> I think people want people want me to go to Mars and get a uh, a dog up in Mars where they're, there's no one that is more of a proponent of uh, humane treatment of animals. If a farm isn't good enough, then I'm sorry. I apologize. I apologize. 
What can I tell you? Oh, looks um, like your dog's getting a lot of love in your home, Joel. Uh, she sure is. And even Ethel, our boxer, Fred and Ethel. <laughs> I love uh, look at this. Thank you, the CEO. Look, look at this. I got your back. That's what you want from a wife. I got your back. Done with <laughs> trolls. We screw the trolls. And you know what? As we grow, it's going to get worse. So uh, everyone buckle up. Um, from the from the surgeon, Megan, you're awesome. Love your jersey, too. Best guest. She's from Philly. You couldn't tell by her name, but Philly, Jersey, same kind of attitude. Um, so cute. There you go. Uh, thank a big you. thank you to uh, Sue Ann Robinson, who joined us for a short time today. She's an attorney out of Fort Lauderdale. And, of course, Tim Jansen, who everyone knows, guy gives amazing legal analysis. Uh, he was on. He had a run. Uh, he also served five years as a federal prosecutor. And then you've got Megan Sachs from the great state of New Jersey. <laughs> a full professor of criminology and the graduate program director at Fairleigh Dickinson University. She teaches classes including women in crime, serial killers, and crime policy. And she and Amy host Women in Crime and Direct Appeal. And did I, I ordered Fred an air tag. It's coming, uh, should be here. He's too little for it right now. <laughs> uh, and what's crazy is tonight, Amy was going to be on the show, but I found out from Megan, she's teaching at Rawway State Prison. And that Correct. is one of our, our crowd knows how scared I am of prisons, Megan. There is no, <laughs> if you've never seen Rawway State Prison, Google it. It is out of a horror movie. It's got this dark black dome, sits by Newark Airport. It's always dirty and gray and scary but look at this lorna mckenzie mckenzie just subbed to your channel uh so everyone check out and support megan and amy thank they you. do great work over there thank you to all our best guests uh sorry for um losing my uh or finding my jersey attitude um i should say we are close to one hundred thousand subscribers i think we're closing in on uh someone just had it there where was it i just saw it we are closing in we're less than a thousand uh away from 100,000. We will get wow. there in due time. Yeah. Um, tomorrow, Congratulations. Thank you so much. We're going to cover this uh, crumbly case about the mother on trial for her son's school shooting. And we've got a guy that responded to a school shooting who now has software to prevent school shootings. He is among our guests tomorrow. Shanna Gardner is back in court on Wednesday. And then at 5 p.m. on Wednesday, you've got Dr. G breaking down Michelle Traconis's body language. So until then, love you, America, and love you, Jersey, and love you, Jersey Diamonds. See you tomorrow. Final seconds of the game. A chance to score and... The chance has gone begging. If your business's commerce platform keeps missing the target on golden opportunities, get the MVP you deserve. Get Shopify. <coughs> Shopify is the commerce platform revolutionizing millions of businesses worldwide. Whether you're a garage entrepreneur or IPO ready, Shopify is the only tool that you need to start, run and grow your business without the struggle. Shopify puts you in control of every sales channel. So whether you're selling signed football boots from Shopify's in-person POS system or you're vending vintage shirts on Shopify's all-in-one e-commerce platform, 
you are covered. And once you've reached your audience, Shopify has the internet's best converting checkout to help you turn them from browsers to buyers. What I love about Shopify is how, no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the US. And Shopify is truly a global force, powering Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across over 170 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. This is Possibility, powered by Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash ranks, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com forward slash ranks to take your business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash ranks.